0: never left it's double move sports as always i'm Steph albiero i'm here with the fantasy phenom alex lot say what's up to the people almost halfway through the season it's crazy been a hell of a ride so far look if you told
1: me we were making it to uh, what are we going into week eight and the season hasn't been canceled or no games have been canceled it's a huge win for all of us so ha- i'm hyped to be halfway through the season Hyped that we're here i wish it would slow down a little bit it always goes by so fast but steph and you have a big one this week in our home league. Going head-to-head, go. head. luckily you got some bye weeks, but it's gonna be a good one. We're both in playoff standing right now, so it's kind of a must win for both of us, trying to get towards the top of the standings for that regular season title. Hyped to be going against you this week. May the best man win.
0: Hey, it's, uh, it's gonna be a grind. We're gonna be clawing, scratching tooth and nail, just trying to get this dub. I'm, uh, I had some interesting decisions to make flex-wise with <sighs> some streamer plays. It's the bipocalist man. Chark, Brandon Cooks, David Johnson. So we'll see how it goes here. And let's talk about these bye weeks. I mean, we're again we're we're seven weeks in. We're coming up on week eight. This is the part of the season where you're trying to see what side of the hump are you on? Are you a team that's firmly in the playoffs? Just trying to gear up for that end of the year. Are you a team that's on the bubble that needs to win right now? And you're sweating if you're a one or two win team. You need to get some wins. ASAP, and we got bye weeks for the jacksonville jaguars the houston texans the arizona cardinals and the washington football team as always if you like what we do here on the show please hit that subscribe button that is huge for us a like is always appreciated as well if you have start sit questions you can hit us up down in the comments below or hit us up on twitter we try to get back on all
1: those we try to get back to people on all those we try to get it before game time Always happy to jump in and help you with those. So don't be afraid to throw it in the comments. Don't think, oh, they're never gonna answer. We really do. Test it out, I promise you. Um, We'll do our best and and I think we're hitting most of them.
0: I feel like we're at like 99% right now. There's been a few that have slipped on like waiver nights and stuff like that, but I feel like we're hitting most of them, but it's fun and hopefully we can get some live streams going again as well. But Alex, let's jump into some of these topics. This first one, you know it had to be done. We had so much fun with this one yeah. in the off season when the season was starting with this Tampa Bay Buccaneers running back room. Leonard Fournette is back and everyone who's been watching this show for any period of time and knows how big of a Rojo truther you are. So as someone who's on the Rojo side of this, I'm more on the Fournette side. Um, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the takes here, but how scared should Rojo managers be? How scared are you, Alex? For a guy who has Rojo in a lot of places.
1: If Rojo's been a roller coaster ride, and Steph, we said we're going to be talking about this backfield all year long. And for <laughs> either of their fantasy football case, that wasn't going to be a good thing. And it's it's tough because, you know, I'm down on Rojo. Fournette misses a couple games, and I'm riding this wave of the three straight hundred yard games. He's looking great. He's doing better in the passing game. I think he's established this backfield. And then Fournette like just comes out of nowhere and gets 55 percent snaps to Rojo's 44 percent. Even though Rojo did technically get the start. And it just makes no sense to me. And Steph, you text me during the game, like, Fournette is getting a lot of work. And it took me a couple hours to reply because I had to cool off before (laughs) I was able to reply to you because I know you've got Fournette in a couple places. (laughs) But it was weird. And, you know, it's back to that point where, for me, Rojo is back to a low-end RB2. He's going to get, you know, 12 to 15 carries and might get a target or two per game. And Fournette is is in high-end RB3 territory for me just because he is getting that passing work. One thing that was interesting in this game is, you know, we've seen Rojo and Fournette split time earlier in the year, but McCoy was coming in on passing downs and getting a handful of touches and targets. McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn did not play in this game, so this was a two-man split, and with a Bucs team that is firing on all cylinders right now, if it's just the two of them, you might actually get fantasy value out of both. It's just not going to be, you know, that league winning upside that you want out of either guy.
0: Ronald Jones, 44% of snaps, 13 carries for 34 yards, had a touchdown. Only saw two targets in this game, so a 10 fantasy point outing from Rojo. And then Leonard Fournette, coming off of an inactive game, and an emergency active the week prior, 55% of snaps, 11 carries, 50 yards. And then had seven targets, caught six of those for 47 yards, a 15 fantasy point outing. From Leonard Fournette. So in this week, if you threw Leonard Fournette in there, which I doubt anyone did, I mean, how disrespected do you feel right now if you're mm. Ronald Jones? They they go to Fournette after three back to back 100 plus rushing yard games. That that is a major major red flag for Rojo shareholders. They're they're not willing to give Rojo the reins of this backfield even when he it feels like he's pulling away from the pack. So I see a window now for. Fournette to take over, specifically with the high value touches. And we look at another backfield that is also a two-man committee with Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. And it's just felt like look, Gordon is just the clear guy that you want in fantasy because he's getting the passing work. He's more likely to get goal line carries. I think they trust Fournette more in pass protection as well, which gets him on the field in those passing down situations. So yeah. like you said, right, this Bucks defense and offense really is, is just firing on all cylinders. They're a top three defense. They're only allowing 291 yards of total offense per game. Of the two right now, I I lean Fournette, but ideally you could sell either of them it's for close. more stable running back. They have a great upcoming schedule though, and, and that's the thing.
1: It's closer than I'd like to admit. And Steph, like you said, that great upcoming schedule. I know the Giants are on there. The Panthers both could have great games. Um, but the thing is, like Fournette, what I noticed in this game – Fournette would come onto the field on third downs. And that was super frustrating because, like you said, that passing volume is so valuable. So Fournette would come in on a third down – but he wouldn't come back out for Rojo to go in on the next first down if they picked it up. He'd come in if they converted the first down. He stayed on the field, and it felt like he played the rest of the drive. Mm. So for me, I noticed that happened several times, not every time, but enough to where I a huge red flag went off for me, and it does seem like they favor Rojo on the goal line, but it's not like Rojo is this goal line back, and when they get down inside the five, they're going to rush him on the field. Fournette was in on a goal line possession where Tom Brady snuck it in from the one. So Fournette potentially could get – you know, a third of that goal line work to Rojo's two thirds. So it's not like one is, you know, just the primary goal line back and one is the primary receiving back. It's it's a lot closer than I'd like to admit. Luckily, Rojo can get a little bit of work in the passing game as well. And Fournette might get touchdown opportunities here and there, but man, it's tough. And personally, I'm a little bit biased. I thought Rojo looked a lot better. Fournette had a couple big plays, but to me, he looked a little bit slow when he got out in the open field. Um, but that's kind of splitting hairs at this point. I'm fine to roll either out as an RB2 or a flex this week. And if either has a good game here against the Giants, it could be a time to potentially sell high because my big takeaway is, barring injury, I don't think either Fournette or Ronald Jones is going to be able to pull away from the other and kind of dominate this backfield as a workhorse.
0: If you can sell high, and especially if you're a a team that needs to win now. Maybe even right now. Yeah, if you need to win right now, go ahead and sell Fournette or Rojo for as much as you possibly can even if it's a slight downgrade from a guy that you would think of you know, from a projection projection or rankings perspective, get a more stable option because I think these guys are both going to swing back and forth and you're never really going to know when to start them. And real quickly on the red zone touches here, Ronald Jones had three red zone touches on the ground and so did Leonard Fournette. The difference is Leonard Fournette also had one red zone touch through the air as well. So that's, they're about dead even there. So like you said, it's not like a clear roll that's been defined for either one of these backs. Now, if you are a team that is chilling there with a winning record after the week 13 bye, this late bye week that the Buccaneers have the schedule is fantastic Vikings Falcons Lions in week 14 15 16 and the fantasy football playoffs so if you need to again with this defense setting up these positive game scripts I think both of these guys will have startable weeks so we're not saying fade either one it's just going to be tough yeah. to know whose week it really is but Fournette is a guy that I think could take over as, as much as it hurts to say after that Rojo explosion that we saw
1: Steph, next I want to talk about a couple of rookie quarterbacks. And I know we do have Tua coming this week. But first, Justin Herbert, man. I didn't see this coming. He's had an absolute explosion. And, you know, I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to put him on that pedestal yet. But he feels like he could be someone that's like the next Mahomes. I mean, when I watch this guy play... He's chilling in the pocket. He has a great presence. He's mobile, and he's just launching the ball downfield. And when I remember Mahomes' first season as a starter, I remember this dude with a cannon that seemed like he was taking deep shots. He was accurate. Um, He was mobile. So I've loved watching Justin Herbert, and you know he's tied for third in the NFL in yards per attempt. And typically, we look at these rookie quarterbacks. They do these safe checkdowns, keep it near the line of scrimmage, don't do well under pressure. But Justin Herbert's been an absolute blast this season how are you valuing justin herbert rest of season and at this point is he someone you're willing to start every single week i mean he's fourth in the nfl right now in fantasy points per game with 25.8 actually more than patrick mahomes so to me i'm fine to lock him in regardless of matchup what's your take on herbert
0: yeah I, he's a qb1 to me he's in that mid season, to low qb1 range rest of season does have this denver matchup but doesn't get me super excited you add in the fact that you know it is at denver which we saw last week when the Chiefs were there, you know, that snow game, the weather kind mm-hmm. of affected how much they can air the ball out, but Herbert gives you a sneaky rushing floor as well. I think the yeah. comps to Josh Allen and and to you know, I put out a tweet a while ago uh, after Herbert had his breakout game, I was like my comp for Justin Herbert was Josh Allen, but it was 2018 Josh Allen, and now it looks like both Josh Allen and Justin Herbert are 2020 Josh Allen. So it's come full <laughs> circle at this point and the efficiency an adjusted completion percentage of 74%. That's 11th in the league. Like you said, that yards per attempt number, extremely high. He's just willing to air the ball out. And he's he's accurate while he's doing that. Really not throwing to any you know big weapons outside of Keenan Allen. I know Mike Williams is there. He's always been kind of this boom bust guy. Kind of knows his role and stays there. But he's throwing 70-yard touchdown passes to J- Jalen Guyton just to see what he's doing has just been really fun to see and you know to start the year with tyrod taylor this chargers team was a very run heavy team we were seeing both eckler and josh kelly be in the double-digit carry range on a weekly basis and both be startable running backs now as herbert's come in the chargers went from one of the lowest in the league on pass plays per game now they're sitting at number 11 so you look at the changes to this offense based on the personnel's you love to see it in and, and for a guy just five weeks into his career to be at number four in the league in fantasy points per drop back it's just incredible like the efficiency has been insane he's been great under pressure he has a 54 percent pressure completion percentage uh, which is fourth among all quarterbacks right now so what more can you say about Herbert if you grabbed him off waivers before he exploded like we were telling you to like you um, did right after he had that boom game I've been plugging him in over uh, Cam Newton. It's kind of saved my QB spot Uh, you got to start Justin Herbert right now, treat him as a QB1. Yeah,
1: I mean, I do expect some slight regression between now and the end of the year, but I'm not saying, like, he's going to fall off a map and be a a typical rookie quarterback. I think, you know, he could be somewhere around QB8 to 12. Now, like we said, he's fourth in fantasy points per game at the position. I don't think that holds. But, Steph, right now, you talk about efficiency. His passer rating is 108.1. Now, Phillip Rivers was the full-time starter for the Chargers for 14 seasons. Do you know how many seasons he had a 108 passer rating? (laughs) Probably
0: not many with all those interceptions.
1: Zero. Zero. And it's not like it's some difference in efficiency because Herbert's 16-game pace right now is 4,900 yards and 38 touchdowns plus 400 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. Again, it's a smaller sample size. I don't expect that to come to fruition. I expect some slight regression, but he's still someone you can throw out there every single week. He's absolutely blown away all my expectations, and we said it for all these other options and these weapons in the offense. Keenan Allen, man, he's a locked-in wide receiver one rest of season, something we did not expect at all. With Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. I would expect Hunter Henry to hopefully take some steps forward as well. He's still someone you're obviously starting every week at the tight end position. And these other guys like Mike Williams, we've seen pops and I can only imagine what Austin Eckler would be doing in this offense if he had stayed healthy. If you have Eckler on your roster and you make the playoffs, you might get a couple weeks there of Eckler and Herbert together. That will be fun to watch as well this season. But Steph, let's go ahead and move on to the guy nobody really doubted, it was Joe Burrow. He's absolutely dealing this season. What do you like out of him so far in Cincinnati? It's been tremendous to watch him support three different wide receiver options on, you know, many different weeks. He's leading the league in pass attempts. Joe Burrow's lived up to the hype for me. What do you think he's going to be moving forward for fantasy?
0: It's crazy, too, because You look at the difference between Herbert and Burrow. These guys are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You think of Joss Herbert as like, I'm not comping him there, but you think of him as like a Mahomes, run around, air it out. He's going to get some rushing bonus stuff in there. Joe Burrow is kind of the opposite where, uh, and he has been good from a rushing perspective, but it's not like the arm strength. He's not taking these deep shots downfield. He's really been more of a kind of calculated um, let me pick apart this defense. Take what they give me, type of player, and it's just that volume. That's what you love to see, that passing volume for a especially a rookie quarterback. You know, I think we were all pretty conservative with our projections. We we said uh, prior to the draft, we said if, if when Joe Burrow's on the Bengals, if they can hit maybe 600 pass attempts, he's going to be a fantasy asset. And right now, he's on pace to hit 670 pass attempts, Crazy. which would have led the league last year over Jameis Winston. Uh, and over the last five years the only guys to pass this pace that burrow is on the 670 p- pass attempt pace would be 2018 big ben which we saw what happened to his elbow the next year yeah and then 2016 drew Brees and joe flacco those were that was the times when you know those defenses were just completely crumbling and those guys had to air it out a ton so you look over the last five years what joe burrow's doing is historic 42 pass attempts per game and with joe mixing out This Bengals offense is going to have to rely on Joe Burrow even more. He's been a sneaky rushing guy. He's had three rushing touchdowns on the year to start his career. He's only had one truly disappointing fantasy start, and it was against Baltimore where you're probably sitting him anyway. So even if it's garbage time, Burrow's going to be putting up points. He was a guy that we said, grab him in those double-digit rounds in your draft because we could see the upside from a guy like this coming in. and I don't think anyone expected this type of volume, but it's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and hopefully Mixon's back this week. We'll see. Still not practicing, so you know I think as of this recording, the expectation is he will be out this week. They have the bye next weekend to bring him back after that, but keep an eye on it. But you're right. He's going to have to keep airing it out, and it's to Higgins, Boyd, and A.J. Green, and all these guys are start-worthy right now. In fantasy football, they're all seeing around 80% of snaps. It's kind of like a three-way timeshare there in Cincinnati, and you think about them, they're all very different players. Tyler Boyd is more of a safe, high floor play right now. He's getting nine targets a game. He's really over indexed in the touchdown category and he's a top 10 receiver in PPR, which is crazy. So you're rolling him out every single week. You've got T Higgins. Who's more of the upside, you know, league winner, late rookie breakout, like AJ Brown last year type of player right now. He's still a wide receiver three though, with upside on a week in and week out basis. In his last six games, seven targets a game over 15 yards per catch. This guy's getting it done. And Burrow is getting him the ball. Early and often in games. I mean, Higgins is making plays all over the field. And then even A.J. Green, you know, there's that Undertaker gif where he, like, comes out of the grave and sits up. Like, that's A.J. Green. We might have to throw that in here if we can, Steph. But he seemed like he was dead and gone. But he's back. Last two games, 84% of snaps, 12 targets a game. I don't know if they're trying to, like, showcase him before the trade deadline or what. But he's back, and until further notice, you can throw him in your flex. It's a little bit riskier because he has been up and down, but you can't deny the production and the targets and the snaps. So the fact that a rookie quarterback is supporting three fantasy-relevant wide receivers on a bad team only adds up to be able to start that quarterback in fantasy football. So I'm in on starting Joe Burrow. I mean, in a tough matchup, maybe there's a better streamer available, but he's going to continue to deal. And, you know, he's third in the NFL in passing yards. But he's way down the list in passing touchdowns. I think he's in the 20s. So there has to be some positive regression coming there for Joe Burrow in terms of passing touchdowns. So keep an eye out for that as well.
0: You love it. You got to love what, what Joey Burrows is doing right now in Cincinnati. But let's talk about some running back start sits there's a lot of them there's a lot of them right now a lot of guys
1: tougher and tougher every week man. (laughs) a lot of
0: guys on the bubble we got injuries we got bye weeks the bye weeks knocked out a lot of our safe options like james robinson like david johnson even some options like antonio gibson so we're getting deeper and deeper and then we're seeing chris carson get injured last week philip lindsey's in concussion protocol and injuries left and right just keep hitting for these rbs so fantasy managers need to know how to treat these backfields. And there's a couple of them that we want to talk about here that are kind of these ambiguous backfields where there's a couple different options. Let's go through some of these. The first one is in San Francisco. I don't even know what's happening there's nothing to even say here there's no analytic metric that we can look at that's going to tell us who to start on a weekly basis and right now it seems like it's between Jarek McKinnon, Jamichael Hasty, Tevin Coleman could be back he was activated off of IR but no guarantee he's going to play against Seattle here in week eight. Alex who do you like out of these guys?
1: Dude this is (laughs) crazy if possible I'm trying to avoid San Francisco because the writing on the wall was there for Jerick McKinnon last week. I mean, I started him in a couple of leagues, and he came back with negative fantasy points. <laughs> I think it was like three carries for negative one yards, yeah. and it made no sense. All game, I'm like, did did I miss a play and he left for the game? Is he inactive? Did he get disciplined? And then Kyle Shanahan comes out after the game, and all he says is like, oh, yeah, we were just trying to rest him. Like, that would have been great to know beforehand, Kyle. <laughs> um, but, you know – I just can't trust him at this point, and if I'm going to start anyone, honestly, it's going to be Jermichael Hasty, which sounds a little bit crazy, but I think he is the one that's guaranteed for a role in the offense this week. Like, Jarek McKinnon is clearly not going to come in and have some sort of bell cow work like Jeff Wilson did last week with no one coming in behind him. Tevin Coleman, even if he's active, I don't expect him to just come out and get 20 carries after coming off of IR and being questionable throughout the week. So I think Jermichael Hasty is probably the best bet for some sort of workload if you're desperate. But if possible, I'm trying to stay away from all these guys.
0: I'm with you on Hasty, especially if Coleman doesn't play. But yeah, yeah, I mean, throw the gif on screen right now. Mark Cuban saying, I'm out in the Shark Tank for <laughs> Jermichael Hasty. Like 23% of snaps, 8.3 fantasy points. If that's your best option in a backfield, you probably don't want any of them. And at this point, like I'm willing to say Shanahan running back rooms at least for the rest of this year probably going into next year's drafts like I'm just not going to touch any of them outside of maybe Raheem Mostert and he's going to be a year older next season hopefully he comes back and healthy off IR because I think that's the only guy that you can actually trust to start in fantasy let's talk about another running back here LaMichael Pirine for the New York Jets kind of stepping up into a workhorse role he's up against Kansas City which is a middle of the road against the running back position I'm willing to throw LaMichael Piron in there as a desperation RB2 this week, maybe even a flex. Do you think that's a hot take? I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures, Steph. And
1: like with Pirine, sadly, I think I might play him over all the San Francisco running backs just because of the uncertainty. And here's the thing. A San Francisco running back will outscore LaMichael Pirine this week. Maybe two of them will. I just don't know who it's going to be. So I'm taking LaMichael Pirine, even though he's on a bad offense. I mean, the Jets... What, they're gonna score a maximum of ten points per game. So the the touchdown upside isn't there, although he did have one last game. But he's getting some red zone carries. He's getting most of the passing work on that team over Frank Gore. It's really just him and Frank Gore in that backfield right now. And against the Chiefs, I expect them to get absolutely boat raced in this game. I think the line is like twenty points or something like that. So Pirine's gonna be out there. And although Darnold doesn't check down to the running back a ton, who knows? That you know, if Pirine can get 10 to 12 carries and five or six targets in this game even if the production isn't there the volume could be enough to make him a flex play so again i'm fading if i can but with some of these injuries with some of the bye weeks with some of these crazy backfields that we're seeing i'm fine to roll p right out there and it doesn't feel good
0: 70 <laughs> percent of snaps last week 13.6 fantasy points 11 attempts for 40 rushing yards a brutal 3.6 yards per attempt so like you're saying the production here unless you get a touchdown which, I mean, Piran had three red zone carries. So it looks like, you know, it's not Frank Gore cramming up the middle anymore. And if there is going to be receiving work to be had, that's going to go to Piran as well. So I see him as a low-end RB2, just as a volume play on this bad offense. If the Jets improve at all, I don't think they're going to fire Gase. They would have already done it if they were going to this season. But if whatever happens, maybe the personnel changes, the scheme changes, whatever, like there's nowhere to go for this Jets offense but up so in that case for a guy that even if you don't have to start him keep him stashed on your bench um, i think he's a fine bi-week filler or a deep flex
1: so next on the list steph another split backfield i think some of the the themes here with our start sits this week are some of these split backfields and we've talked about like daryl henderson and malcolm brown a lot in the past so we're trying to hit on some of these new ones that are starting to pop up left and right and this one's justin jackson and josh kelly Another backfield that's been incredibly tough to read. Without Eckler that first week, Justin Jackson seemed to lead the backfield. But then last week, Josh Kelly, 47% of snaps and 17 touches. To Jackson's, 38% of snaps and only 10 touches. They're playing the Denver Broncos, who are a little bit stingy against the running back position. Steph, Kelly and Jackson, if you had them as your RB2 or your flex last week, neither popped off, but they got the job done. Both had over 10 PPR fantasy points. Are you willing to roll out either of them this week or potentially both?
0: I've tried not to start Kelly with every fiber of my being just because he's been been the the between-the-tackles-grinder type of guy in that offense. Without a
1: touchdown, it's pretty tough for him to put up a a worthy performance, that's
0: for sure. Exactly, exactly. I mean, 47% of snaps, that was more than Justin Jackson. I'll talk about him in a second. 17 touches last week. Uh, 12 for 29 rushing like that's just a brutal rushing efficiency and I think that's going to continue in a blizzard game against Denver which is third against running backs Uh, he did see some receiving volume which is this is where the interesting upside lies for Joshua Kelly five for five for 24 receiving yards if you're going to start him, that's what you have to circle and say look I'm going to expect for that receiving volume to be there again the thing is the Chargers are coming off a game against Jacksonville, which actually turned into a little bit of a shootout. I don't expect that same game script to occur here against Denver. I think the Chargers will be able to stifle them a little bit more on the defensive side. And so with that, I'm going to go Justin Jackson if I have to pick one of the two. I was already leaning that way because Justin Jackson has proven to be Austin Eckler light. Only played 38 percent of snaps. He was banked up uh, in the week last week, so they didn't. I don't. I felt like they were trying to limit his touches a little bit. Uh, had. Five for 12 rushing, but had one more target than Joshua Kelly. He had six, caught five of them for 43 yards. So also saw more efficiency in the receiving game as well. And that's just as part of his profile. That's who he is. He's He can definitely play more of a scat back or third down back than Joshua Kelly can. I'm taking jo- uh, Justin Jackson in this game, trying to sit Joshua Kelly, but really don't feel great about either one of them against Denver.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And to that point, though, like compared to LaMichael Pirine, Jarek McKinnon, Jermichael Hasty, even Tevin Coleman. I think I might still rather have either Justin Jackson or Josh Kelly. You might disagree with me there, but I'm with you. If I had to go with one, I'm going with Jackson because with Kelly, you're essentially relying on a touchdown. And with Justin Jackson, I think the floor is safer with that passing game work. So if I had to pick, it's going to be Jackson. Um, but again, desperate desperate times call for desperate measures. So <laughs> I'm willing to flex either of them in a pinch and hope for the best.
0: Let's move over to Buffalo and talk about Zach Moss and Devin Singletary for this Bill's running back room. Singletary played 54% of snaps to Zach Moss's 47%. Both had 10 touches. So it was a, almost a dead even 50-50 split in that backfield. And Moss outproduced Singletary. Coming back from that injury, I feel like he was kind of getting eased in a little bit. And then we saw some production there. Who are you taking? In week eight against New England.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, it's not Devin Singletary. There's no way you can start him <laughs> right now. I mean, now that Zach Moss is back and healthy, we both liked Zach Moss coming into the season. We didn't know if the breakout was going to happen. We thought it might be a timeshare, but it looks like Zach Moss is truly starting to emerge and really take over this backfield because of those snap counts and touches from last week. And Singletary straight up hasn't been good. You look at his last three games from a fantasy points perspective 4.3 5.5 and 6.7 just hasn't been able to get anything going on the ground and this is a Patriots team that just gave up four touchdowns to the running back position against San Francisco so if I'm going to start one of them I mean this might be a hot take but I think it's going to be Zach Moss he offers some some upside in the receiving game as well he's the more likely of the two in my opinion to be in at the goal line even though Josh Allen's probably going to keep it on the read option every time or QB sneak it um, so the touchdown upside is low. But if I had to pick one of these two guys, I think the pendulum has swung and it's Zach Moss for me.
0: Now their last game was against the Jets. So I don't want to overvalue some of that. But if you look at Zach Moss's efficiency on the ground, 6.7 yards per attempt, had seven carries for 47 yards. To Terry, Hugh, actually had one more attempt, eight, but only had 29 rushing yards 3.6 yards per attempt there so zach moss is kind of coming in as like here's the fresh legs let me see if i can come in here and take over this backfield i think there is a small window that is opening for moss to sneak in here and take over but it's, as long as this is a 50 50 split i'd rather start neither of them
1: last one here steph at the running back position you have this choice this week against oh, me no. so i'm not going to show my cards too much but jk dobbins against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a tough one because Ingram is potentially going to be out for this game. And it's like, of course, the one game that Ingram is finally poised to potentially miss or be limited is against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have been absolutely suffocating against the run. Only 68 rushing yards allowed per game. You know, Gus Edwards is going to be involved in some way. Lamar Jackson's going to run it as well. J.K. Dobbins against Pittsburgh. Are you firing him up this week, Steph?
0: (laughs) I'm not going to answer that question directly in terms of our matchup. I mean, I got to decide between J.K. Dobbins and then DJ Dallas. I'm kind of holding him, seeing how it shakes out with Carlos Hyde and Travis Homer. It's just a tough spot to be in. I really don't want to start him, but I think he has enough of a floor through his receiving to not even be a starter, but just that <laughs> I would probably plug him in. Cause I think he's going to be in that eight to 10 point range. I don't think he's going to be efficient on the ground. If you remember against Cincinnati, Dobbins had one rushing attempt for 34 yards. <laughs> so a 34 <laughs> yard per attempt, uh, in that game. Yeah. So that's kind of skewing some of his efficiency metrics. He hasn't looked that great, uh, on the ground when he's getting close to double-digit carries. And I don't expect that to explode against Pittsburgh, though I do love Dobbins long-term. I think he can be great. He has been efficient uh, through the air, and that's where all of this is gonna come from. If you're starting J.K. Dobbins this week, what you're hoping for is for the Pittsburgh Steelers to go up on this Ravens team and for them to enter comeback mode, have to air it out a little bit more. But the most we've seen from a target perspective for Dobbins is four targets maybe at absolute most you're seeing six in a game script that lends itself to that. I mean, he was four for four through the air for 38 yards against Kansas City, similar type of game script that we could see here if Pittsburgh really is this undefeated juggernaut that they've been thus far. Coming off the bye week, maybe, maybe they look at some of the the efficiency and big plays that Dobbins has had throughout the season and try to give him the ball a little bit more with Ingram out. You just, I don't think you can bank on that at all. I think Everyone's going to play their role, right? Gus Edwards is going to be the the between-the-tackles grinder, and J.K. Dobbins is going to be more of a scat back, change of pace, breather back. So really, I'd rather start Edwards actually over J.K. Dobbins. Are you with me on that one?
1: That's a bit of a hot take. I would try to avoid either in this matchup. If you held J.K. Dobbins to this point, it feels like a situation where you should start him. It's just such a tough matchup. We don't know what it's going to look like. We need to see if Ingram plays or not first but I would rather wait and see. I know you could wait and he could have a good game and Ingram could be back next week, but there's just so much risk involved there. I think a lot of people are going to start him if Ingram is out, but it feels like a trap game to me. I'd love to be proved wrong. You know, me and you love JK Dobbins as a talent. We think he's gonna have a great career, Um, but I'm gonna try to sit him this week if possible. Coming
0: off that season high, 11 touches in week six, but even 11 touches is is just not gonna do it. So you think in a best case scenario, Maybe he gets a little bit more than that, but still not a guy that you really want to plug in there. If you're looking at it as a flex option, there's probably a wide receiver out on the waiver wire that you can pick up and just plug in for one week and stream. Let's shift over to some wide receivers here. We'll keep it in this Pittsburgh-Baltimore matchup. Should be one of the most fun games on this slate. And for this, you know, we just had a video breaking it down. You can check that out last week where we looked at all of the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, kind of broke down each one of these guys. They're all seeing pretty healthy snap shares. But coming off a game that kind of shook up what we thought this Steelers wide receiver core was going to be. Now, as of right now, Deontay Johnson did not practice. This is on Wednesday when we're recording right now. It's not out of the ordinary for Deontay Johnson to take some maintenance days over the week. He's been one of those guys who's been, if he's questionable... Doesn't really matter. All that matters is if he's active on game day. I think you've got to plug him in the lineup because at this point, whenever he's healthy and active and on the field, he's been the Steelers wide receiver one. And he's been a guy that's extremely viable in fantasy, has been scoring touchdowns. He has three so far on the year and is leading the team in targets uh, every time he's out there. So I, yeah. I just don't know what you can do other than, you know, for, for Chase Claypool and Juju, just hope that Deontay Johnson is not healthy and that... Claypool's going to have some explosions. Yeah,
1: I mean, the three games we've seen Deontay fully healthy, he's had 10 targets, 13 targets, and 15 targets. So if he's out there healthy, Deontay Johnson is at the point where I know he's burned you a couple times because he's gotten banged up in games, but you just have to play him because if you didn't, you missed out on games like he had last week, that big two-touchdown performance. So if Deontay Johnson's healthy, I'm playing him. The two more interesting guys to me – are Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool. And Juju feels like he should have a higher floor, but I don't know that he actually does. And Claypool definitely is the higher upside guy, as we saw in his four-touchdown game. Steph, Juju's coming off that fantastic performance. He's been very up and down this season. I think right now I'm still willing to flex Juju or put him in as my wide receiver, too. We're seeing the Steelers absolutely deal right now. They're the only undefeated team left in football um, you know, this game against the Ravens, the Ravens offense is good. I don't expect this to be a blowout either way. So there is going to be a healthy game script for both sides throughout. So I do expect Juju to get enough work in this game to have some fantasy relevancy. The problem is just the the target counts for Juju Smith-Schuster don't quite add up to production um, for me in terms of yards. Because we're seeing Juju like in a game like last week. How many targets did he have? 14? 14. Let me spot check this. 14 Season targets, high. only 85 yards. Only 85 yards, though. You know what I mean? So that's a little bit concerning to me. Only five, five, and four targets the games before that. He's always a threat to score. He can make big plays. So, you know, I'm not reading too much into it, but I just want to make sure that everything is good there because you got Claypool and Deontay Johnson, two other really strong weapons. Ebron's getting involved as well. I just don't want there to be, you know, a game where I'm starting Juju and he gets forgotten about like he had the previous couple weeks. So you kind of got to ride the hot hand. You got to ride the snap counts and the targets and the things we're seeing on the field. But with both Juju and Claypool, they've shown that they can kind of burn us. Claypool's game last week, I can't even describe. You know, don't (laughs) drop him just yet. Maybe you put him on your bench until he's back in action. We recommended starting him to everybody. We said, look, this is one of those guys. While he's hot, you have to keep starting him. You have to go with the trends. You have to go with what you know. He burned us last week, so we learned a lesson. Um, You know, I'm fine to roll him back out there if you want to, but if possible, I'm trying to leave him on my bench right now to see if he can get things worked out.
0: It wasn't like they took Claypool off the field. There's 65% of snaps. He has at this point shown, if you look at the snap counts, his usage, the routes run. He's taken over as the wide receiver three over James Washington. So I think he has a starting role. It's just a matter of, you know, hey, was it really so reliant on Deontay Johnson being out of the lineup for Claypool to have those explosions? What Claypool hasn't been outside of that one game against Philly where he had the three touchdowns, that 42-point outing that he had, he really hasn't been a high target guy, but nonetheless, he's still been producing. So he's a boom bust option. He's probably what um, you know we thought Michael Gallup was earlier in the year. That's kind of what Claypool is now, and it feels like you know Claypool is kind of taking all the juice out of Juju and it's become you know all the explosiveness is now with Claypool, whereas Juju's just. just Floor, you know, almost like a Cole Beasley Mm -hmm. type of guy who's just this near the line of scrimmage, (laughs) safe option for Big Ben to check down to when the pressure is coming his way. And in a game where the Baltimore Ravens are going to be sending a ferocious front seven at Big Ben every single play, I don't think there's going to be a lot of time for Chase Claypool to get downfield and get open. On top of that, they have a great secondary, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey. So for those reasons, I'm sitting Chase Claypool and Juju Smith Schuster this week. Uh, but willing to roll them back out later on. The next three weeks are fantastic for the Steelers. They have Dallas, Cincinnati, and Jacksonville after this Baltimore game. So it's almost like, hey, just just sit them for a week and then pop them right back in there.
1: Steph, let's move on to someone I've been conflicted about. It's CeeDee Lamb. He's playing the Philadelphia Eagles this week. Oh boy! It's looking like it's going to be Ben DiNucci, Andy Dalton, as of this recording, still in the concussion protocol. So keep an eye on that because I do think Andy Dalton is a is a big deal over Ben DiNucci. But Steph, C.D. Lamb coming into this game, top ten wide receiver on the year in PPR, absolutely dealing. Had seen at least five receptions and seven targets in every single game this season. Comes out against Washington, five targets, zero catches. Has one rush for one yard. Gave me that one last week in my lineup. To me, you know, I've been as big of a CD Lamb fan this year as possible. You got to put him on your bench, right? I mean, there's no chance. Like, I I might have to start him in a league. I've been trying to sell him everywhere, but I think that window is gone. I'll tell you what. You put up a zero-point performance, and your value tanks. So, um, it feels like this would be a sell low if I traded him. But I'm just afraid if he has one or two more bad weeks, his value is going to be out the window.
0: Yeah, I think you gotta hold. I think you gotta hold you Gotta CD. hold and put him on your bench. Um, sell him high if you can, but I don't think any fantasy managers are gonna buy high on CD in twenty twenty, knowing what that quarterback situation looks like. On top of on top of the, you know, zero for five through the air, C D was also off the field a lot. Only played fifty five percent of snaps. That's tied with his lowest on the season. The last time he did that, he had twenty fantasy points, though, not zero. So <laughs> With CD, I know maybe you look at the Eagles and oh, they're 21st against the wide receiver. It could be a decent defense to to stream against, but you, you just can't trust with the quarterback turmoil that's going on back there. You can't trust them at all in your lineup.
1: Yeah, and I mean just the hold thing though, is, he did, don't don't drop. Yeah, yeah, put him on your bench, see what happens. But he did get one red zone target actually in the end zone that was very close to to being a touchdown. The defender made an incredible play to get back on the ball. So that could have changed the whole narrative of this week. So that one touchdown could have turned things around. I think the snap count was low because this game was out of hand and they kind of pulled their starters at the end because they were just trying to get home. Um, So, you know, I'm not reading too much into that. But if Ben DiNucci's the starting quarterback, there's just no way you can start CeeDee Lamb. If it's Andy Dalton, I think he is someone – it looks like a long shot for Dalton, but if it is in a deeper league, I might consider flexing him. But, again, we're trying to avoid him at all costs – But Steph, let's go ahead and move over to another guy that's typically a slot receiver, Jarvis Landry. But now OBJ is out for the season with a torn ACL. What do we expect from Jarvis Landry moving forward? And are you willing to start him this week against the Vegas Raiders?
0: I am willing to start him this week just because I do think OBJ not being out there is a slight bump. I don't think it's as much of a bump as most people would think with Hollywood Higgins emerging there, with... Donovan Peoples-Jones actually showing out a little bit in this game. I know it was against Cincinnati, but Jarvis he's only seeing five and a half targets per game. Baker hasn't been throwing it a ton, though. The one the one glimmer of hope and why I'm willing to start Jarvis this week is just for how hot Baker looked in that Cincinnati game. If this is gonna be you know, uh, kind of an uh, emergence for Baker in the 2020 season. I mean, he had 18 straight completions. It was seven for seven on passes, 10 yards or more downfield. So you look at some of that efficiency that Baker's having with this low pass volume. I think that's where Jarvis Langey can produce. You it that, you know, his expectation in terms of his workload, what they're going to ask him to do is going to increase with OBJ out there. I think you look at Jarvis as a guy that, yeah, he put up 11 fantasy points and that goes up a little bit. Expect him in that 13 to 15 range. Doesn't have a high ceiling, but were we ever thinking of Jarvis Landry as a high ceiling, high upside guy? No, you really weren't. So he's a safe uh, flex option if you need him this week. Uh, Safe, you know, desperation, wide receiver too. And you look at the matchup too. Las Vegas is the bottom 10 against wide receivers. So I, I think I am willing to flex him. How about you?
1: Yeah, I'm willing to flex him. It's, you know, full season. I'm not, like you said, I'm not bumping him up dramatically because OBJ is out because of those five and a half targets a game. And Baker only attempting 28 passes a game. That offense's passing volume is just low. But if there was a game to start him, it's against the Raiders. They've been weak against the wide receiver. This Browns team is playing pretty well right now, at least the offense. As Baker is absolutely dealing. And the Raiders too, have been baby. the Raiders have been involved in shootouts all season long. They're averaging twenty-eight points a game and they're giving up thirty-two points a game. So they're in these games. Like every time I turn on the TV on Sunday, I feel like the Raiders are in a back and forth battle. You got Nelson Aguilar running deep routes, becoming relevant again. And whoever they're going against is absolutely gashing their defense with big plays as well. They're a team that's made a bunch of big plays and has also given up a bunch of big plays, which is kind of the recipe for these shootouts. I expect that to continue. I think Jarvis Landry gives you a really solid floor this week. And if he's able to bust a big one for a touchdown, which he's not necessarily known for, but maybe they rely on him a little bit more with OBJ out. You know, you have to buy into that narrative a little bit and at least see what happens out there. it could mean mean a big game. So I'm willing to start Jarvis Landry. um, Rest of season, I think he is a wide receiver three, someone you can roll out there as your flex every single week Um, when before it was looking like he was kind of fading a little bit. So I'm not going to bump him up to something ridiculous. I'm not going to buy in too much, but he at least is moving up my board to where I feel a little bit more comfortable with him on a week-in and week-out basis.
0: Let's talk about one more wide receiver here, a guy that's emerged this year and there could be some questions about how much longer he's going to be a guy in the starting lineup we'll break it down here but it's travis fulgham practice squad legend for the philadelphia eagles they're up against the dallas cowboys here in week eight which is just a gorgeous matchup right now that game is cited to be played on sunday night football i hope they can flex that raven steelers game into the sunday night football window otherwise this eagles dallas game this sunday night is going to be a snoozer maybe i'll actually get to bed early for once but right now Dallas is 20... Ben
1: DiNucci is going to be <laughs> having a rough one out there on Sunday Night Football in prime time. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. Might be worse if it's Andy Dalton.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the the Cowboys are 25th against the wide receiver. Fulgham has been the wide receiver one. He's been their alpha wide receiver for the last three weeks. 13, 10, and 11 targets the last three weeks. He's had touchdown on, on three of the four weeks he's played. So. He's getting looked to in the red zone, in the end zone. Now, it hasn't been the highest efficiency, hasn't been the highest catch percentage, but you know he's getting some decent yards after the catch as well, um, averaging you know 10 to 15 yards per reception that so far this season. So you look at the matchup, but then you look at the other things that are happening with these wide receivers in Philadelphia. We have Deshaun Jackson. He's on IR. He's out pretty much for I think for the rest of the year. There's no way he, he can come back and at least be what he was. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, they said he's unlikely to play, but he still might get in there, which I'm not worried about him. You can, you can tell me if I'm wrong here in a minute, but Jalen Regor could be coming back as well. Now, the question is, does Travis Fulgham still have fantasy value when Alshon Jeffrey and Jalen Regor are back? We also have to keep in mind, Greg Ward has been a guy that's been fighting for snaps, but you look at what Travis Fulgham did last week he played on 96% of snaps. That was a season high. So that tells me, look, he's got, he's over Greg Ward in terms of a depth chart, in terms of how the Eagles want to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And for Fulgham, he's been a guy that they've played all around the formation. You look at Jalen Regor, his skill set and what they drafted him to be. He's an outside field stretcher. He's not going to be a slot guy. I think he actually does have the capability to be a guy who can play in the slot. I love Jalen Regor as a prospect. He was one of my, my favorites coming into the year. But I think Travis Fulgham will still be out there in any three wide receiver sets. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to play in the slot a lot. I think they're going to have to rely on him to make plays. So for all those reasons, you look at the matchup too. I'm willing to start Travis Fulgham against Dallas if I have to in my flex spot. Am I just out of my mind here, Alex? Are you with me?
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I was wrong on Fulgham a few weeks ago. I said he might be like a one-week plug-and-play off the waiver wire, and then he's out. He's proven me wrong, and he's another one kind of like we talked about Chase Claypool and our our mindset last week was he's putting up numbers, he's putting up production, he's getting the snaps, he's getting the targets. If you get someone that's hot like that, you just have to go with it until they prove you wrong. And Claypool proved us wrong finally last week, so we're going to put him back on our bench, temper expectations. But last year, you look at A.J. Brown, he never proved you wrong. He kept putting up numbers again and again and again, and it got people a lot of wins with Fulgham right now. He's getting the snaps. I mean, 96% of snaps last week, and then the last three weeks, double-digit targets in each game. The snaps are there. The targets are there. I don't care if Alshon's back. I don't care if Jalen Rager's back. I don't care if the tight ends are back. To me, I'm finally at the point where I'm willing to start Fulgham until we see targets snaps in production come down at least in my flex spot so Carson Wentz is on fire right now believe it or not these Eagles are leading that division (laughs) and they have this juicy matchup on Sunday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys defense that's terrible and the one thing that could be working against them is the Dallas Cowboys offense not putting up points because they might just be running the ball for the whole second half so hopefully whether it's deer in the headlights Ben DiNucci Or historically bad primetime Andy Dalton, (laughs) the Cowboys can put up some points to keep this game script um you know positive for the Eagles passing game.
0: Yeah, fire up all your Boston Scott shares that you have. I think he's gonna go nuts in this game. Expect 20 plus points from him. And he's a strong start. But speaking of strong starts, let's get into our week eight starts of the week, our favorite segment, week in, week out we're going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Both going to give you guys that maybe are on the bubble. Maybe they're coming off bad games. Maybe they have tough matchups. Whatever it might be, we want to go and tell you, look, these guys might be on the bubble. Go ahead and plug them in there. Start them with confidence. So Alex, I'll go ahead and let you start it off here. Who is your quarterback start of the week?
1: Yeah, before I get into it, Steph, we got to take a little victory lap for last week. We both did decent on our starts of the week had Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, you know, neither took the top off, but they were fine in that game. You hit on Antonio Gibson, fantastic game. T Higgins and Terry McLaurin both had good games and the TJ Hawkinson big game in the last second touchdown as well. So we hit on several last week, didn't have any huge busts in there. I consider that one a win. So with that being said, let's keep the streak alive. Get into a guy we were just talking about Carson Wentz. And those Philadelphia Eagles with Travis Fulgham, I mean, they're playing Dallas. I said the matchup is as juicy as it can be. The Cowboys' defense is giving up 34.7 points per game through seven games this year. That's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. They're giving up 20.7 fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. And, man, Wentz struggled to start out the season. He got a lot of criticism, but he is heating up. You cannot put this Eagles record on Carson Wentz. Steph, over the past five weeks since those first two tough games. Carson Wentz is the QB three in fantasy football with 24.7 points per game. He's been putting up numbers. He's been doing it with his legs as well with a couple of rushing touchdowns. The Eagles have had to score points and he's done it with no weapons. He's done it with Travis Fulgham and Boston Scott and Greg Ward. Now you're telling me that Jalen Rager or Alshon Jeffrey could be coming back. Fingers crossed they're back for this game. But even if they're not, Carson Wentz is a must start every week right now. And even season long, I mean, I know this is starts of this week, but you look forward and once he gets Alshon, Rager, eventually Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders back in this lineup, some of the O-linemen as well, he's just going to continue to produce. So expect him to keep that hot streak going here in week eight against Dallas.
0: Nice, nice. I love that one. Yeah, it's been uh, – throw some respect on Carson Wentz's name. Everyone was was all off of the Wentz hype train. I think you can hop back on it now. But for me, my start of the week, it's coming off a hot game against Cleveland. It's Joe Burrow, who's up against the Tennessee Titans. They're 18th against the quarterback position. We talked about Joe Burrow a little bit at the top of the show and his production and what he's been doing for that offense. Then I mean, you have to plug him right back in. Really only had one start so far in his career where he hasn't had at least a startable fantasy game. And it was against Baltimore where you saw the matchup. The writing was on the wall. But in that game against Cleveland, 74% 74 completion percentage on 47 attempts, 406 yards and three touchdowns. You add in the sneaky rushing floor that Joe Burrow has as well. He's had three rushing touchdowns on the year and the Tennessee Titans are giving up 19.6 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. Their defense is middle of the pack against the run, but very vulnerable against the pass. And what do we know that the Bengals want to do? it's throw the ball. Burrow's on pace for 670 pass attempts. That would have led the league in 2019. He averages 42 pass attempts per game, one of the highest in the league. He's leading the league in pass attempts, and he has the weapons group to do it and sustain that passing volume and be able to be relatively efficient with it. We know the Titans are going to put up points. They're top five in terms of points scored per game. So even if it's garbage time, Burrow is going to need to air it out. And I think that's going to lead to a good fantasy outing here in Week Eight. I
1: like it. I like it. And Steph, it's time for some more spice because my running back start of the week is quite spicy. It's Le'Veon Bell against, going against the New York Jets. (laughs) The revenge game of all revenge games. And look, people are going to blow this narrative out of proportion and be like, oh my gosh, Le'Veon Bell is going to score, you know, 30 points against the Jets. I, you know, I'm not expecting some amazing top 10 running back performance. But I'm telling you, this is the week I think you can finally plug Le'Veon Bell into your starting lineup with the Chiefs. I know he only had six carries last week for 39 yards, only played 33 percent of snaps. But he had been with the team for like three days or two days because of the some of the COVID protocols, and they were getting him worked in. It was a blowout game. I didn't expect a huge workload, but I did think he looked good in that game. His yards per carry was great. Um, so looking forward to this week against the Jets. I expect you know 40 to 50 percent of snaps in this game. And he could get 12 to 15 touches. I think he's a good bet to score a touchdown in this one as well. If he can get 8 to 10 carries that are efficient carries, a few catches and a touchdown, he could put up solid RB2 numbers this week against the Jets, who are a very weak defense. You know he's going to be begging Andy Reid all week long to get him in there for a touchdown. I think (laughs) it happens. And in a game where the Chiefs are supposed to absolutely dominate the Jets, I think even later on in that game in the second half, if it's in hand, they could use this as time to really get Le'Veon Bell acclimated and get him going and get him some work. So I like Le'Veon Bell this week. I will say it is a bit risky. Um it's it's riskier than some of our other starts of the week. But I have Bell in a couple of leagues and I'm wanting to fire him up just about everywhere.
0: Yeah, in garbage time. I feel like they're gonna they're gonna feed Bell a little bit. That was Closer than, than most would have thought uh, to a fifty fifty split. Now that was kind of a weird game in the snow against Denver. There was you know they were just trying to eat the clock out as fast as they could. Yeah.
1: DeAndre Washington got like twenty yeah. percent of carries. Yeah,
0: so like yeah, I think Lev Bell is their RP two. He's now taking that Darrow Williams role, which we saw him get you know a decent amount of touches. We've seen Clyde edwards alaire with multiple weeks near that twenty five attempt range. I don't think he's going to hit that very much if at all for the rest of the season, unless Le'Veon Bell is out for whatever reason. So I think you can expect Left Bell for double digit touches, a few targets, probably a touchdown in this game. I love the pick there. And right now the Chiefs are 19 and a half point favorites, Uh 49 point over under in this game. It's going to be nasty. So I want, I want to get into my running back start of the week. You know, you went with the The super deep, spicy option. I'm going to go with the chalk option and say, plug this guy in there because I'm ready for an explosion. I think it's going to happen. It's Jonathan Taylor against the Detroit Lions. Let's go. Detroit is 28th against running backs. They're giving up 29 fantasy points a week to the running back position. On average, they give up 114 yards and more than one touchdown per week. Taylor is slowly improving as the season goes on. Over the last two games, he's getting closer to that 4.95 yards per carry number, which is exactly what we wanted to see from him. That's exactly the upside that he had and why he was drafted early in the second round. And he's still seeing that steady passing work from Phillip Rivers, the check down King himself, because right now, Jonathan Taylor's 11th amongst running backs in receiving yards, and he's outside of the top 10 in reception. So he's been efficient He's averaging over three red zone touches a game, 20 total on the season, which is top 15 amongst running backs. Expect a blow-up game from Jonathan Taylor here in week eight.
1: I love it. I I think it's time coming out of that bye week. I think they could really use him um, to kind of carry the load. Phillip Rivers hasn't looked great, so I love that pick, Steph. I certainly hope he has a huge game for my Colts against a a stingy and a tough Detroit Lions team, but let's go ahead and move on to the wide receiver position. Mine's a little bit more chalk, but I just want to give people um, some reassurance in this guy, it's Robert Woods and very, very disappointing game last week, but it was a tough matchup against the Chicago bears. And I know Robert Woods, even before last week, hadn't quite lived up to the expectations where people drafted him. So a lot of people were kind of on the fence with him after another bad game. Some people are going to be out on him. Some people are going to try to be trading him or benching him. You got to roll him out there. I think he is still an every week start, especially against the Miami Dolphins. He's still seeing a huge snap share. I mean, this guy is out there essentially all the time. And before this week, he's been fairly consistent with his production as well. On top of the snaps, he's seeing touches in a really good offense, six and a half targets a game and two carries a game this year. He's going to continue to be involved as their wide receiver one so with the Dolphins this week, I know it's Tua's first start, but I expect the Rams to dominate this game. I expect them to get back to their guy, Robert Woods, and get him involved, get him going a little bit coming off of the down week. So if, if he burned you last week, don't worry. Don't panic. Plug him right back in against Miami. I think he's going to have a really nice game.
0: Nice, nice. I like that. that sort of the week there. Bobby, Bobby Trees. Trees. He's always a good you know, bounce back guy. He's just the classic, just steady, solid wide so receiver steady. too. You got to love it. Uh Now, I'm going to go a little bit spicier for my wide receiver start of the week. Yes, we're trading here with running back and wide receiver. Mine is Brandon Ayuk. For those who don't know, he is a rookie wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. He's up against Seattle this week, which is a fantastic matchup. The second highest over-under on the week. Seattle is dead last in the NFL amongst wide receivers. On average, they give up 60 points a game to the wide receiver position and Debo Samuel is now set to miss multiple weeks with a hamstring injury, and we look at what Brandon Ayuk did just last week against New England. He led the team in targets more than George Kittle. He caught six for seven, uh, had 115 yards, 19.2 yards per reception, and Ayuk has played more than 70% of snaps every single week so far in his career. He's coming off his first 100-yard game and you look at how he's being used in this offense, you know, his average depth of target is 10.4. The Debo Samuels, 2.8. Even though you might look at the box score and, and see, hey, these guys are pretty similar. They got, you know, pretty similar yardage, shuttles, similar targets uh, and receptions, but where Ayuk is being used is as a traditional X receiver that's going downfield. On top of that, you, know, you get you get the floor from the volume, the usage, You know, really being the number two to Kittle on that team now. We've seen when Shanahan wants to get a guy active in a game, whether it's Jeff Wilson, Jarek McKinnon, whoever it might be, they're going to have a good game. That's just what Shanahan has given us. I expect that to remain the same here against Seattle. But lastly here, where Iuke gets some additional upside is how he's been used as a rusher. So far this season, he's already scored two touchdowns off rushing attempts. So you add in that extra touch or two that he may get. I think there's just plenty of upside for Ayuk, who's going to be the go-to X on this San Francisco 49ers team. Plug him in in a great matchup.
1: Nice. I love that pick, Steph. Now we're going to get into these tight ends. Tight end is brutal, man, and these are so deep. So, you know, if you have someone that's, you know, like a Hunter Henry or, you know, there's obviously the big five. Is it five? Kelsey...
0: Yeah, let's just name them. Let's just name them all. I mean, it's it's yeah. we know who we're starting. Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, Andrews, Johnny Smith, yep. start him Hawkinson, week. Hunter Henry. Yep.
1: Even Noah Fant. Now we get into like I think Noah Fant is a every week start at this point.
0: What about Gronk?
1: I think he, I think you start Gronk. You you still want to start Gronk every week. He's putting up numbers right now.
0: One more, one more. Jared Cook.
1: I think an auto I think start. you uh I mean, If you don't have any of those other
0: names, that's where you don't have any of the
1: other names we just mentioned, and you only have Cook, I think he is still an auto start. But after that, I do think it ends. So I'm gonna go ahead and get into my guy. This one's deep. It's Irv Smith Jr. against the Green Bay Packers. Nice. And this is a guy out of Alabama who is hyper athletic. We were we've all been excited for him for a while, and I'm surprised he hasn't broken out yet. But he actually under the radar has been steadily. Climbing in terms of snaps, in terms of targets the last couple weeks. And if this guy breaks out, you do not want to miss the boat. You want to get ahead of it early because if this breakout actually happens, he's one of those guys that could be a league winner, almost like Kittle the year that he broke out. And look, this matchup against Green Bay is a matchup where we expect Cousins to throw the ball. The Packers' offense is elite. Their defense is pretty good, but their offense is elite. The Vikings aren't going to be able to run the ball, you know, 40 times like they probably want to. So Cousins is going to throw, and look, these snap counts for Irv Smith just pop off the page. I know Kyle Rudolph is there as well, but Smith in his last two games, 68% and 79% of snaps. He saw five targets in each of those games. He's one of these athletic tight ends that can take any play to the house, which is what you really want. You know, Jason Witten, all-time legend, his style of play was like, let me get a bunch of targets, consistent, steady, possession, Um, production where you see Noah Fant, you see George Kittle, you see even Evan Ingram, these guys who can take any target for 75 yards for a touchdown because of their speed and athleticism. Irv Smith fits that category. He's super athletic and can take anything the distance. Only a couple of targets could go a really long way for this guy. And again, the tight end options are so limited. You got to take your shots. You know, shoot or shoot, go for it. Steph, I know you're probably rolling out Irv Smith against me this week. I sadly love that play. So, you know, if he doesn't break out, I'm not going to be super upset. But if he does, you heard it here first.
0: Yeah, that that Blake Jarwin-Ian Thomas stack at the start of the year just absolutely crushed me. And it's been uh, grasping at straws, but maybe Irv Smith is that guy. And if I didn't have Irv Smith, I'd want to throw in my start of the week, Robert Tanyan for the Green Bay Packers up against Minnesota in that very same game. I'm expecting a top 12, a tight end one performance from Robert Tanyan, who's right now sitting at the tight end nine. I know that was skewed by Devontae Adams being out for a number of weeks, but Vikings are middle of the road against the tight end. The Vikings defense has been absolutely terrible this season, really plays to your Herb Smith point even more. And the over-under is the third highest this week at 52 and a half in a blowout against the Houston Texans. Robert Tanyan played a season-low 51% of snaps last week. They just didn't need him. And the game before that, Green Bay got blown out by Tampa Bay. So it's been these one-sided game scripts in both directions since Devonta Adams has come back after that Packers bye week. I just don't know how long Adams can sustain 16 or 17 targets a game. And unless Adams is going to see 200 targets so far on the season, which hot take that could still happen, I expect the ball to be spread out a little bit more. And when I look at the pecking order for the Green Bay Packers, to me it goes Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and then Robert Tanyan. Maybe you make a case for Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but I'd rather go Tanyan there. So I'm expecting a solid start this week from Baby Kittle. If he's on your roster, you probably needed tight end help anyway. So I think you can you can go ahead and plug Robert Tonyan back in after a really down week. Well, that's it for our starts of the week. Hell of an episode here, Alex. That was an absolute blast. I'm excited for this week eight. Been hitting on some DFS lineups too. But guys, if you like what we're doing here on the show, a subscribe would be greatly appreciated. Making a push right now, just hit 2.3K. Feels great. Um, And a like is always appreciated. Again, if you have start sick questions, hit us with those down in the comments below. You can also hit us up on Twitter at WSports. And Alex, before we sign off here, anything else? One last
1: thing I want to add, and this is just like a strategy tip of the week. You said it when we first kicked off the episode, Steph, you have to find out what side of the hump you're on in your league. Are you fighting for survival or are you at the top, you know, five and two, six and one, even seven and oh, looking like you're locked for the playoffs with a good team. And if you're at the top, this is the time of the year where there's going to be desperate teams at the bottom of the standings that haven't totally given up yet. So think about a team that's two and five, or three and four, now is when you want to take advantage of trades with those teams because they might have guys that are on the Jaguars, Texans, Cardinals, or the Washington football team on bye this week and they need a win to stay alive. So target the team with Terry McLaurin on bye and maybe you can find someone on your bench that's your wide receiver th- or your wide receiver three or a running back three or something that you can flip or package together because they need starters and they need wins and you just want a guy you can stash on your bench. So look out for those kind of things in your leagues, target some of those players on by that might be on teams that are fighting for survival. And you might be able to flip a pretty good deal for yourself in the long term. So I'm definitely going to be doing that in my leagues because I am um, fortunately with a winning record in the couple of the leagues that I'm in this season. Um, But just a good strategy tip to throw out there because these middle weeks are where you can really set yourself up for the playoffs.
0: And we'll have to look back once we hit this midway point after this week eight, and see how things have shaken out so far this year. So much fun to watch with these rookies. Um, I feel like this has been a really high-scoring year. There's a lot of great matchups for fantasy. But guys, thank you all so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.